With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month no matter what kind of entertainment you love addicted to true crime catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on a e crime central crave adventure explore asian action movies on hayah searching for something extreme check out skating snowboarding and more on fuel tv plus the global home of action sports and find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's hit nation playlist there's new free shows and movies to love every week say free this week in your xfinity voice remote America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Hope you are all flying high on this wonderful Monday. Welcome into the Azunia Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you once again. And we're going to be coming at you with a tremendous guest. As joining me in the second segment, Anthony Stelter. He is a gentleman that does a lot of sports gambling reporting and is a radio show host for 101 ESPN in the fine city of St. Louis. Going to be getting into the NL Central race. We're going to be talking about some of the teams that made additions at the trade deadline. And just going to be looking at the landscape of baseball in general. So that is going to be a lot of fun in the final segment. I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board. And a little something I like to call touch them all. In the first segment of the show, this is typically where I like to answer Twitter questions. And believe me, I got a lot of them. But they all refer to one game. So you know what? Let's get into the part of the show where I break down yesterday's results, try to find some trends, and try to help you become better handicappers from it. And we highlight that game first and answer all those questions. So who's streaking and who is slumping? It is time for Rakers and Fakers. The biggest single game money line upset in modern memory in Vegas went down on Sunday as the Baltimore Orioles wind up knocking off the Houston Astros by a count of 8-7. to seven. At Circa, you saw the Baltimore Orioles close as a plus 415 underdog. At Stations, minus 550. I've had a whole bunch of people asking me what my thoughts were on 
the closing number and everything like that. Was this the biggest I had ever seen? I'd never seen a team close minus 550. I think the previous high was the Dodgers against the Atlanta Braves a few years ago, in which you got a spot starter for the Atlanta Braves. I think it was like Bud Norris going up against Clayton Kershaw. That was minus 485. I've never seen 550 before. The biggest one I had ever bet was the Kansas City Royals when they were getting somewhere in the neighborhood of plus 390 and plus $4 last year. That was Luis Severino going up against Brad Keller, and we all remember the Royals were able to win that game, but getting into the actual breakdown of the game, yeah, those were all the questions I got in regards to the Twitter mailbag today, so hopefully I answered those. But in regards to the game, the Houston Astros were able to jump all over Asher Wojciechowski early, Carlos Correa, his 17th home run of the year, but that would be the only long ball the Houston Astros would get, and the Baltimore Orioles would get their long ball very, very late, as Justin Verlander was not sharp in this one. Five innings pitch, he gives up four runs, all of which were earned. I think post-All-Star break, he had given up five earned runs in his first five starts, so needless to say, not normal, and Asher Wojciechowski gave up that three-run home run and nothing else in six innings, so he did his part. The bullpen of the Baltimore Orioles disintegrated in the ninth inning with Michael Givens giving up three runs in the ninth inning, living up to his last name, but then Rio Ruiz, the hero. Jeez Louise is what you're saying if you had the Astros in this one. His seventh home run of the year, that comes off of Roberto Ozuna as the Houston Astros give up four runs in the bullpen in three and two-thirds innings. Needless to say, a huge underdog for anyone that took the Baltimore Orioles. Now we get to a little bit of smaller underdogs and games with a little bit more conventional lines as another underdog did cash and as another underdog did cash on Sunday as the LA Angels get their second straight win knocking off the Boston Red Sox by a count of 5-4. to four. For the LA Angels, they were able to get this win in the 10th inning and it was Cole Calhoun in the 8th that was really able to get this thing. Two extra innings. His 26th home run of the year that came off of Matt Barnes in the bullpen. As for the Boston Red Sox, Andrew Kasher just delivered no length whatsoever. He winds up recording five outs, giving up three runs, and then the bullpen of the Boston Red Sox, though they wind up getting the loss in this one, was not bad. Eight and a third innings. They give up just two earned runs. You got to think that they're going to be burnt going into that game against the Cleveland Indians on Monday. But for the Boston Red Sox, they have also been getting a lot of offense. But in this one, the lone deep shot was by Christian Vasquez, his 18th home run of the year. As for the LA Angels, it was... Mr. Patrick Sandoval did not have a good start. He gave up all four of those runs in four and two-thirds innings, but the bullpen, five and a third innings for a LA Angels bullpen that had been really struggling. They don't give up a single run in just two total hits, so got to give up to the Angels after they had lost 12 out of their last 14. They get back onto their winning ways. Meanwhile, for the Boston Red Sox, this is a team that surprisingly has struggled at home. You take a look at their home record for the year. It is now sitting at... 30 and 32, so I'm not sure how and I'm not sure why, but they've certainly not had their A game at home. The New York Yankees have been having their offense going on the road, so they brought the O. But for the third straight game on the road, they wind up playing an under, and they got a gem from one Masahiro Tanaka to get a 1-0 win. Tanaka winds up not getting Tanaka around, going eight innings, giving up three hits. He did start the ninth inning, but rolled the Chapman, had to close the door after he gave up a few base runners. And for the New York Yankees, just 1-5 with men in scoring position, five hits, as Trent Thornton appears to be back on the right track. He had a really rough month of July, but in this one, he goes six innings, gives up just one earned run. Very much a tough luck loser. And then Sam Gavilio, the bullpen, goes three innings, gives up two hits, no earned runs for a Toronto Blue Jays bullpen that since the 
all-star break ranks in the top five in regards to ERA, as does the New York Yankees. They just haven't had a lot of starting pitching. Certainly an angle worth taking as the Yankees still played over 70% of their road games to the over, so you do want to note that. The Kansas City Royals were able to play an over on Sunday as they were able to get a 10-2 road win against the Detroit Tigers. The Tigers at home are now 8-34 and 34 in their last 42 games as Kansas City is getting a whole lot of power right now out of one Jorge Soler. He goes deep twice. His 34th and 35th home runs of the year. If you've got a long shot ticket on him for most home runs out there in the league, actually not looking bad right now. Brian Dozier also goes deep twice. His 21st and 22nd of the year. Whip Merrifield is 14th as the Tigers as a team give up five home runs and Daniel Norris gave up four of them. That's been his bugaboo all year long as he only makes it three innings giving up four runs all of which were earned. Drew Verhagen, who has been a starter for this team, actually not a bad relief appearance. Five innings pitch. He did give up two solo home runs, but just two runs in the process. And then you had another failed starter in Tyler Alexander not get a single out, and he gives up four runs in the process. And for the Detroit Tigers, the only thing he had to cheer about was in the first inning, Nico Goodrum. His 11th home run of the year, and that was off of Jacob Junis, who delivered a very good start. This is a man that is very, very hard to get a read on. Six innings pitch, he gives up two runs, and then the Kansas City Royals bullpen combined three innings. They give up just one hit. The Washington Nationals bullpen has not been good recently against the New York Mets, but they were able to get a 7-4 win in this one as Anibal Sanchez was given essentially an Anibal Sanchez start. He's been a little bit better than this since the beginning of the month of May, but five innings pitch, he gives up three runs. But how about the bullpen of the Washington Nationals? They go a combined four innings. They give up just one earned run. Fernando Rodney did not enter in the game, so you didn't have to sweat that. And you also had some nice power in the ninth inning as Victor Robles was able to put an explanation point on this game. His 15th home run of the year, that was off of Edwin Diaz, who just has not been doing his job for the New York Mets. He and Jurisic Familia both have ERAs north of 5'6". And for Jacob deGrom, just an uncharacteristic start for him, but it was not his fault. He was hurt by a pair of errors. He goes five innings, gives up three runs, but none of which were earned. So he actually lowers his ERA in day games to below a 185. That is the greatest in the history of baseball. And then from there, the Mets bullpen, which had been in the top four with regards to ERA ever since the All-Star break. Well, they gave up four runs and four innings. You had to figure that that was going to come to an end soon. And the Mets having won 14 out of their last 15, you figured that that was going to come to a little bit of a halt as well. So you saw a little bit of a streak buster there. The Atlanta Braves have been doing a very good job as a road favorite so far this year. And they are now 24-8 and as a road favorite as they knock off the Miami Marlins by a count of 5-4 for the Atlanta Braves. They got a pair of home runs in this one. Ronald Acuna Jr. is 33rd of the year. And Ender Enciarte, his fifth. As for the Miami Marlins, Hector Noesi is not a guy that you could trust in. He last started in the MLB before his last two starts with the Miami Marlins this year. In 2015, and his ERA is now an 818 as he goes six innings, giving up five runs, all of which were earned. Bullpen wasn't bad. They go three innings, they give up no earned runs, but for the Miami Marlins, they're still a little bit rough with their bats. 11 men were left on base. As for the Atlanta Braves, they were able to get a I guess you could call it okay start out of Michael Fultonavich. Six innings pitch, he gives up four runs, all of which were earned. And this is a Atlanta Braves bullpen that since the All-Star break has been the bottom five in the big leagues with regards to ERA. And Luke Jackson made things a little bit hairy in the ninth inning, to say the least, but they go a combined three innings, not giving up a run in the process. So they were able to do just enough to get this win, despite the fact that the Atlanta Braves were just completely dominated in the hip department by a count of 12-5. to A team that was just completely dominated on this day as well was the Cincinnati Reds as the Chicago Cubs get a rare road win as they knock off the Cincinnati Reds by a count of 6-3. to And the Chicago Cubs, now the second most profitable team in the big leagues when it comes to 
day games. Meanwhile, the Reds have been the least profitable, which I think is interesting. But you, the other split that you want to look at is the Chicago Cubs now 23-35 and 35 on the road. So they certainly haven't been getting the job done there. And John Lester been incredibly inconsistent this year. And you, ni- you got neither good nor bad John Lester in this one. Five innings pitch gives up three runs off, which were earned at a Chicago Cubs bullpen that has looked very good recently. Goes a combined four innings, giving up one hit, no earned runs. And for the Cubs, they were able to get a pair of home runs. Ian Happ was looked good ever since coming off the injured list. His fourth of the campaign, and Chris Bryant is 23rd. As for the Cincinnati Reds, this was just not Luis Castillo's day. For the second time all year long, he gives up more than two earned runs in a home start. Six and two-thirds innings, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. But then, it was really the bullpen's fault in this one. They record seven outs, giving up three runs, including both of those home runs in the process. As for the Reds, they have a bottom three bullpen ERA over the course of the last three days. They had a very good bullpen ERA going into the All-Star break, so that is certainly letting them down. The Oakland A's have been let down by their hitting against righties so far this year, but two runs in the fourth inning was all they needed as they get a 2-0 win over the Chicago White Sox. White Sox, by the way, have now played in four runs or fewer in 22 out of their last 30 games and three runs or fewer in 21 out of their last 30. As Chris Bassett, absolutely sensational in this one. Seven innings pitch, he gets seven strikeouts, four hits, no earned runs. He was able to evade danger whenever needed, and then the bullpen goes a combined two innings, not giving up a single run. The lone form of offense for the A's in this one was a Matt Olson two-run home run. That was his 23rd of the year. As Lucas Giolito winds up taking the loss in this one. He had been the third most profitable pitcher out there in the big leagues if he bet $100 on every one of his starts, and this was not his fault. Six innings pitch, he gives up that home run. 13 strikeouts, and then the Chicago White Sox, who have had one of the best bullpens in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break, they go and combine three innings, not giving up a single run, but the White Sox, once again, just nothing doing on offense. The Milwaukee Brewers on Sunday, absolutely nothing doing on offense as Mike Miner delivers a gem and the Texas Rangers get a 1-0 win over the Milwaukee Brewers for Miner. He goes eight innings, gives up four hits, no earned runs, 11 punch-outs, and then Jose LeClerc was able to close the door for there, from there. And for the Texas Rangers, this is a team that really didn't have a whole lot going on offense as well, getting just four hits. And Jordan Lyles, a man that entered into this start with a career ERA after the All-Star break of six, his third straight good start with the Milwaukee Brewers. Seven innings pitch, gives up one run. Very much a tough luck loser in this one, as you also had Alex Claudio and Jeremy Jeffries give a solid ending out of the bullpen apiece. But for the Milwaukee Brewers, just nothing doing on offense in this one, as Christian Yelich did not start and was merely a pinch hitter, so that was certainly something that you wanted to note, especially with the line coming out in the morning. You had the overnight line on this one, and things got a little bit weird late as the Cleveland Indians, in 10 innings, take down the Minnesota Twins by a count of 7-3. For the Indians, it was a grand slam off the bat of Carlos Santana. That was the difference. It's 25th of the campaign, and then you did have Greg Allen in the first inning get a home run off of Jose Barrios, his third of the year. As for Barrios, not a great but not a bad start. Six innings pitch. He gave up three runs off which were including a home run. Seems like he's doing a little bit worse at home recently. He had that start in which he gave up nine earned runs previous, but this one was certainly much better. But Taylor Rodgers, who had been very consistent out there for the Minnesota Twins, really their lone reliable bullpen piece over the last three days, gives up that grand slam, and the Minnesota Twins have a bottom six bullpen ERA since the All-Star break, so you do want to note that, and in this one, the Minnesota Twins, two of ten with men in scoring position, as you had a very good start in this one from Aaron Savale, the young man, continues to have an ERA at one. He now has a one-on-one record, by the way, with an ERA of one, as he goes six innings, giving up just one earned run. The 
Cleveland Indians have the best bullpen ER out there in the big leagues, but it was Brad Hand giving up two runs in the ninth inning that did cause extra innings. He has been a little bit untrustworthy and is seeing his ERA climb, but all in all, the Cleveland Indians bullpen continues to get the job done and the offense certainly looking a little bit more prolific as the Cleveland Indians, ever since the beginning of the month of June, now have a record of 42-18. and 18. Best mark out there in the big leagues. The worst mark out there in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break belongs to the Pittsburgh Pirates as they are now 4-24 and 24 in their last 28 games and they blow a four-run lead to the St. Louis Cardinals falling by a count of 11-9. The St. Louis Cardinals, by the way, entered into this game having played nearly 64% of their home games to the under. As for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Stephen Brault had his worst start in quite a while in this one. Four and two-thirds innings. He gives up four runs, all of which were earned, but it was really Kyle Crick that gave this game away, giving up five runs while recording two outs, and then you had Jeff Hartley giving up another two runs out there in the bullpen. The Pirates just have absolutely nothing going, but the good news for them is that Josh Bell was able to get two home runs in this one. It's 28th and 29th of the year. He has really been struggling with his power ever since a home run derby, so that was a welcome sign and Pedro Lopez winds up getting a home run as well for the Pittsburgh Pirates the second as for the St. Louis Cardinals a man that had been doing a very good job previously especially at home was Miles Mikolas and he got shelled in this one five innings pitch he gives up six runs five of which were earned including both of those home runs and the St. Louis Cardinals entered into this game the sixth best ERA in the bullpen this year they wind up going and combined four innings giving up three runs so they weren't necessarily nails there but what was nails for the St. Louis Cardinals was the fact that they got Paul Goldschmidt to go yard, his 26th of the campaign. You also had Dexter Feller, his 13th of the year. And how about a little bit of an unlikely grand slam as being able to provide that was Lane Thomas, the center fielder, his third of the season, and that was the difference maker. The Colorado Rockies have really been rocky on the road, but on Sunday they were able to get an 8-3 win over the San Diego Padres. Entering into this game, the Rockies had been 3-16 and in their 19 road games ever since the beginning of the month of July. And Herman Marquez was able to turn a very good start in this one. He did give up three earned runs, including two home runs, but he was able to give eight innings in this start, which was huge because the Colorado Rockies have had the worst bullpen ERA ever since the All-Star break. Is going deep for the San Diego Padres. Francisco Mejia and Josh Naylor both get their sixth home run of the year. And Denelson Lamette, once again, not a terrible start, but he didn't give a lot of length. Five innings pitch, he gives up two runs, both of which were earned, including the lone home run of the day for the Colorado Rockies, but it was really the bullpen that was the difference maker in this one for the Padres. They had three different relievers give up two runs while going an inning or fewer out of the bullpen, including Carl Edwards Jr., in addition from the Chicago Cubs. So they give up a combined six runs over the course of four innings. As for the Colorado Rockies, their deep ball in this one came off the bat of Yonder Alonso, a man that was really struggling with the Chicago White Sox. His third of the year, and a very welcome sign for a Colorado Rockies team that has been stranding a lot of men on base. Staying out there in the NL West, the Arizona Diamondbacks have been doing a decent job of covering the run line on the road against the LA Dodgers recently, but in this one, it was Hunjin Ryu Day as as he delivers another tremendous start, and the Dodgers get a 9-3 win. For the Arizona Diamondbacks, they certainly had a leak in this one, and that was on the mound as Mike Leak. Five innings pitch, gives up eight runs, all of which were earned, including four home runs. It got so bad that Alex Avila wound up having to pitch the eighth inning. It's for the Dodgers. Going deep in this one was Justin Turner down for one, not once, but twice. His 18th and 19th of the year, Cody Bell. 18th of the campaign, and then you also had Will Smith getting jiggy with it with his seven home 
with his seventh home run of the year. Yes, I love saying getting jiggy with it. And for Hunjin Ryu, seven innings pitch, gives up no earned runs. The only start in which he's given up more than two earned runs this year was at Coors Field in very, very late June. He did have the Dodgers give up three runs out the bullpen in two innings, but this team was so far out in front, it wasn't even funny. And for the years in the Diamondbacks, he did get a duo of home runs very, very late in garbage time. Nick Amad is 12th of the year, and Eduardo Escobar is 26th, but now the LA Dodgers just continue to dominate at home as their home record now 48-16. and 16. The Sunday night game also involved an NL West team being able to get a win as the San Francisco Giants and the Philadelphia Phillies got off to a very fast start as it was 5-5 at the end of the third inning. But it was the Giants being able to prevail by a count of 9-6 for the San Francisco Giants, a team that had been averaging right around 3.3 runs per game at home. They got a pair of home runs. Mikey Stremski is 12th of the year and Scooter Jeanette is 2nd of the year. Jeanette's came off of Ranger Suarez in the 6th inning as Jake Arrieta did not give much length in this one. He goes three innings, giving up five runs, all of which were earned. From there, the Phillies had to cobble up five innings out of the bullpen, and this Phillies bullpen has not been good. In the bottom ten, the big leagues with regards to ERA, they wind up giving up four runs in those five innings. And for the Phillies, they wind up stranding 15 men on base as they got 10 hits and 10 walks, but the San Francisco Giants, other than Connor Menez, the... Guy that started this game, they were all able to get out of it as Menez winds up going five outs, giving up three runs, all of which were earned. But the San Francisco Giants, over the second best bullpen ERA up there in the big leagues, they backed it up once again, going seven and a third innings. They gave up three runs, all of which were earned. But considering the spot that they were put in, very, very good display. And then for the Philadelphia Phillies, though they were able to plate those six runs, no home runs for them as they have still been struggling with the deep ball. Now, obviously, San Francisco very much a pitcher-friendly ballpark, but still one of those things that leaves you scratching your head. The Seattle Mariners certainly have not been playing in a ballpark that has been too friendly to pitchers so far this year, but we did have a pitcher's duel to wrap things up on Sunday as the Tampa Bay Rays get a 1-0 win over the Seattle Mariners. Ryan Yarbrough winds up going 8 and 2 thirds innings. He gives up three hits, no earned runs. I don't know why he was pulled after 99 pitches and wasn't allowed to complete the game, but still did a very good job. And the lone form of offense in this one, an Eric Sogard home run, his 13th of the year off of Wade LeBlanc, and that came in the fourth inning as everyone was doing their job from a pitching perspective from the Seattle Mariners. Sam Teuvailela winds up going in inning as the opener, didn't give up a single hit. Wade LeBlanc gives up that solo home run over the course of six innings, and then the bullpen goes two innings and not allowing a single run. But for the Seattle Mariners, the offense has certainly slowed down. They had just three hits in this one. They continue to be the best over team out there in the big leagues, but they certainly have been slowing down ever since they sold off a couple pieces towards the summer months. So what did we all learn out in Major League Baseball on this Sunday? The LA Angels seem to be getting back on the right track, but the Red Sox continue to struggle at home. Don't lay minus 550 on teams no matter how juicy it looks. The New York Yankees Overs on the road might be drying up a little bit. Meanwhile, the Kansas City Royals might be having a very, very bad man in Jorge Soler, and the Detroit Tigers continue to be woeful at home. The Washington Nationals bullpen has been woeful, but perhaps we're going to see the Mets bullpen come back to earth. The Braves continue to be road warriors and continue to win as a road favorite. The Chicago Cubs certainly having their struggles in regards to road games, but in day games, they have been highly profitable. Meanwhile, the Cincinnati Reds, not so much. Lucas Giolito is not getting a whole lot of help from the Chicago White Sox offense as they continue to sputter. Meanwhile, the Oakland A's continue to be above 500 on the road. Looks like Mike Miner might be back for good for the Texas Rangers and whenever Christian 
Christian Yelich is not out there for the Milwaukee Brewers. The offense seems to be struggling a little bit. The Philadelphia Phillies are not getting anything out of Jake Area whatsoever, but the San Francisco Giants continue to get great innings out of the bullpen. Brian Yarbrough is really finding his form for the Tampa Bay Rays and the Seattle Mariners offense. Seems to not be what it was at the beginning of the year. The Colorado Rockies continue to struggle on the road, but they are getting some good starts out of Herman Marquez. The LA Dodgers continue their home dominance, and Hunjin Ryu continues to look like the best pitcher out there in baseball. The Pittsburgh Pirates continue to be just absolutely woeful. Meanwhile, the St. Louis Cardinals finally got some offense after 12 out of their last 14 games had went under, and the Cleveland Indians continue to be the hottest team with regards to a win-loss record ever since the month of June. That is what we all learned out there in baseball on Sunday. Now let's take a look at the wider range of the baseball picture. Let's take a look at everything that's going down, what's going to be happening in these playoff races, and helping me do so, Anthony Seltzer of 101 ESPN in the fine city of St. Louis, and he joins me next right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. And we're back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. Great to have our next guest. He is out there in the great city of St. Louis. He is a co-host for The Turn on 101 ESPN out there in that fine city. And he is a betting columnist for 101 ESPN as well. This is a guy that does a terrific job of covering baseball, the betting landscape in general in the Midwest, any man that you can follow on Twitter, at Anthony Stelter. That is exactly how it sounds. Anthony, A-N-T-H-O-N-Y, and then the last name, S-T-A-L-T-E-R. Anthony, how are you doing today? Good, Greg. Appreciate you having me on tonight uh, with the baseball season basically wrapping up. I I think things are going to be really interesting, especially in the NL Central. I do agree with you, and I'm very interested to see how things are going to shake out because I do think that there are two teams that are really separating in the NL Central, in the St. Louis Cardinals and the Chicago Cubs. They obviously have done battle so many times throughout the past couple weeks, and what I think is so interesting is that when the St. Louis Cardinals and Chicago Cubs play, I think the home team has won all but one of those games, and I think that it's a big trend in the NL Central and the fact that A lot of these teams are doing a great job of defending their home field, but who's going to be that team that's going to be able to win a couple games on the road? That's really the big question. I know a lot of people have been focusing on that with the Cubs recently because of their road woes. That has been such a topic of conversation for Chicago that it's overshadowed the fact that the Cardinals have been a different team on the road as well. Maybe not to that degree where the Cubs have just, they hadn't been winning road series for the majority of the season. But with the Cardinals, I think the biggest thing that happens when they get away from Bush Stadium, Greg, is that their pitching falters. Now, they had a pretty good series against the Dodgers in terms of pitching. Michael Walker was smashed in that first game, but they got really good starts out of Miles Michaelis and Jack Flaherty. But the pitching as a whole has not been good once you get them outside of St. Louis, when you get them at Bush Stadium, the majority of the starting pitching staff has looked very good. And the most drastic splits have come from Adam Wainwright, where he has been spectacular at home. But you get him away and he's he's got an ERA up over seven. Yeah, I do agree with you. A lot of these guys have some very interesting splits. Kyle Hendricks, certainly one of them for the Chicago Cubs. And my big question is, with the Milwaukee Brewers in general in this, division in that it feels like Josh Hader is looking a little bit more human. He's giving up 
quite a few more home runs than he did last year. And I just don't know if the Brewers are going to have enough firepower to even be in the conversation in the last couple months of the year because we all know Christian Yelich is terrific. He's been a little bit banged up this year and missed a couple games, but he's been great. But it feels like everyone else around him is slowing down. Mike Moustakis and Yasmani Grandel are not hitting as many home runs. Kesson here has been amazing. But outside of Christian Yelich, I don't feel like this team really has a lot that they can hang their head on. Yeah, coming into the year, we all agreed here in St. Louis it was probably going to be a three-team race between the Cubs, Brewers, and the Cardinals, and we've gotten that, but in a much different way. As opposed to these these three teams starting hot and then having this, you know, three-horse battle throughout the course of 162 games, it's actually been all three teams up until recently with the Cubs They've all underachieved. And at the start, I went on our 101 ESPN airwaves and I said, if any of these teams are going to take a step back, I think it's the Brewers. And that was predicated on the fact that, look, Christian Yelich can't do what he did a year ago. Not that he couldn't have a capable season where he put put together MVP numbers. It's just he was so unbelievable a year ago that I thought, all right, if he comes down just a little bit, that entire Brewers club would struggle. And I eat my words for the first month and a half or so when the Brewers and Yelich specifically came out of the gates red hot. But as you just noted, that's a team that has kind of underachieved. But when you look at the starting pitching, I thought they would add starting pitching in the offseason last year. I thought they'd come back this year, maybe add a Madison Bumgarner, not at the trade deadline, but before the season started. And they just never did. So you're looking at guys once again like, Gio Gonzalez and Chassin, and they seemingly, as you noted, they don't, they don't have enough. Now, Yelich gets red hot over the next month and a half. He can certainly carry them, but all three of these teams, the Brewers, the Cardinals, and the Cubs, all have significant weaknesses that when we look back and when it's all said and done, we can point to and say, look, that was the thing that buried them in the end. And for the Brewers, it may very well be the fact that their starting pitching isn't great. And Yelich, the offense and the bullpen, just couldn't do what it did in 2018. Absolutely. Christian Yelich, I would actually argue, has been a little bit better this year than last year, but everything (laughs) else has not necessarily been that, as we are right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Great to have on our gentleman from 101 ESPN, Anthony Stelter, for joining me right here. And he's talking a little bit about the NL Central. And let's actually veer away a little bit from the NL Central, and let's look at the team that is right now atop the National League in general, the L.A. Dodgers. They have been just a steamroller at home themselves. I believe that entering into the weekend, they were 47-15. and 15, So they've certainly done their job there. But on the road, they seem to be a little bit more human as well. They certainly look like the best team out there in the National League. But if there is a team out there that can knock them off, who do you think that is? Because right now, if I were to pick one, it would be the Atlanta Braves. I like what I'm seeing out of Mike Soroka, the bullpen. Very, very suspect. But when you've got guys like Ronald Cooney Jr., Freddie Freeman, Josh Donaldson, a former MVP, that is a very formidable lineup. It is. And when you look at the Braves, they are multifaceted when you look at that lineup. They kind of got a little bit of everything. They got a little bit of power. They got a little bit of speed. They got guys that can hit for average. They have veteran players like Josh Donaldson hitting in the middle of their lineup. Uh, Freddie Freeman, of course. But as you mentioned, with the, some of the young guys, whether it be Ozzy Albies, Ronald Acuna, I mean, they have just a little bit of everything. I do wonder about their bullpen. They made the move for Shane Green, and they made the move at the same time as their bullpen was collapsing. It was like a midday game, and then they added Shane Green. Their starters are really interesting. Dallas Keuchel has been 
pretty good for them. I know he had a recent rough outing, but for the most part, they're comprised with some interesting arms. Max Fried has been really good. They're getting some unbelievable work out of uh, a guy like Mike Soroka. So the, Bra- the Braves have the talent, but they're not battle-tested. When you look at that Dodgers team, and this gets back to the question that you just asked me of who can knock them off, they're the front runners. I mean, only only the Dodgers themselves could slow this thing down. I look at the National League and I say, it's the Dodgers, very long pause, Braves, and then, you know, an even longer pause, you've got a muddled middle, and then the Marlins. I mean, that's really how you look at things in the National League right now. The Dodgers have a run differential of 183. When you look at their pitching staff, not that the Braves couldn't knock them off, because when you get into the postseason, as we've seen, it, it tends to be a lot more random because you got smaller games, smaller series, as opposed to a 162-game season. But when you look at that Dodgers team, they are balanced. They can throw Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, Hunjin Ryu when he's healthy at you. If one of these young guys in Dustin May or this Tony Gosselin winds up throwing, they've got power with Cody Bellinger and Jock Peterson. And, you know, the list goes on. That is an unstoppable force in my eyes. If you were going to pick one team to knock them off, I do think it's the Braves. I think the other team that could be interesting if they wind up making the wild card and moving on is the Nationals. And I know the Nationals have disappointed their fan base for quite a while. But look, when Max Scherzer's healthy and you can throw Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, and Patrick Corbin in a five-game series, that's a formidable one, two, three. Their bullpen has been an issue. Their offense has been inconsistent. But they're the one team that's outside of the Dodgers and the Braves that are kind of intriguing to me at this point. I do agree with you. I think that that's a very good point that you bring up as we do have Anthony Stelter joining me right here on the podcast. And with the Washington Nationals, it looks like on Monday they're going to be trotting out their Eric Fetty just because they have fallen on tough times with Max Scherzer being injured. But I do think that if Max Scherzer is healthy for the postseason, when you have Patrick Corbin, Steven Strasburg, Max Scherzer, and then perhaps Anibal Sanchez if you need another guy, that's a lineup that can actually go out there and they can challenge the LA Dodgers. And we all talk about the Nationals bullpen and how bad they are and everything like that. And I will say, I do like the acquisitions that they made ever since the middle of June. It's been league average and the LA Dodgers bullpen is improving as well. But it's one of those things where if you're looking just from a starting pitching perspective, the Nationals could be right there. And they're a team that I would not want to see in the postseason, especially with Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto hitting the way that they Yeah, are. I mean, you brought up Anibal Sanchez. That's a guy that I, that I left off the statement that I made, but he has had a, an excellent year. I didn't see that coming. So yeah, they're actually four deep. Now the three guys ahead of them you know, can go the distance, but I don't want to shortchange Anibal Sanchez at all. The question there, of course, would be, we've been excited about the Nationals before. What makes anybody think that they could win a playoff series or two playoff series without Bryce Harper when they couldn't do it with him? But that lineup is as balanced, to use a key word that I brought up a couple times now, as most teams in the National League. Consistency and the bullpen has been such a sore spot for them. And they've had so much problems getting to Sean Doolittle at the back end that they have given away games. But you hear the names Rendon, Victor Robles, Juan Soto, even a Brian Dozier, Trey Turner. They do have plenty of offense that if a couple of guys catch fire to go with that pitching staff, they can make some noise. Now, inevitably, I think they fall short because of that bullpen, Greg, but an interesting team nonetheless, especially when you're really just the Dodgers and the Braves in the National League. You're very top-heavy. Though the National League is very top-heavy, the American League is as well. I think that the Houston Astros, when they went out and acquired not just Zach Greinke, 
but also got Aaron Sanchez. They really separated themselves from the pack because the New York Yankees, they're right now, I feel like doing it a little bit in spoken mirrors just because you've got Masahiro Tanaka, James Paxson, Domingo Herman. They're just pitchers that I don't have a lot of faith in. I do like the fact that you've got Zach Britton, Tommy Canley, Adam Adovino, all those guys in the bullpen. But I just think that the Astros are head and shoulders above everyone else right now. And they're just hitting lefties at a historic rate right now. It's not even funny. You pair that up with three of the five qualifying pitchers with a whip below one in the big leagues. It's just a, a team that I don't think can be beaten. Their lineup is chock full of guys that are patient. The strikeout rate is very low for Houston. They hit for power. They take outstanding at-bats. I kept throwing out the name Michael Brantley as somebody for the Cardinals in the offseason, and I kept hearing, oh, well, he doesn't play great defense. No, but the guy rakes. I mean, he's hitting 322. He's leading the Astros, and I know the batting average isn't exactly the end-all, be-all when it comes to statistics, but whether you want to look at advanced metrics or more standardized statistics, the Astros qualify as one of the most elite offenses, if not the elite offense in all of baseball, again, with the with the exception maybe being with the Yankees. But they're pitching. They had Zach Granke, and Granke didn't throw well in his first game. But don't forget, I mean, that, that Colorado Rockies team, they've seen him a lot in Arizona. They saw him in L.A. So that was kind of an interesting first test. He'll be fine. The move for Aaron Sanchez was very shrewd. When you look at Sanchez's season, he was a gas can. For most of the first half, I mean, everything was ugly for Aaron Sanchez. If you go back to the last two starts that he made in Toronto, he had figured something out. And then when he got to Houston, I think they made another tweak or two when it came to, I don't know if they were, they flipped his change up with a sinker or whatever, whatever the two pitches were. They made a subtle change, and then he went out there and obviously got a tremendous first start out of him. That was a move where you look at the numbers and you're like, why the heck are the Astros adding Aaron Sanchez? They saw something in him. A lot of other teams didn't, and now that they've got another pitcher to that mix. And the starters really, I mean, outside of Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole, I mean, Wade Miley's been really good. Not a big strikeout guy, but he knows how to do enough not to get beat. But otherwise, that starting staff wasn't overpowering outside of that first two guys. You add a Granky to the mix, and you add an Aaron Sanchez that's throwing well, coupled with a really good bullpen. No weaknesses for Houston. It's absolutely insane, as we have Anthony Stelzer out there with 101 ESPN in St. Louis joining me right here on the podcast. And the Cleveland Indians are another team that I think is very intriguing. Ever since the beginning of the month of June, I believe they've had the best record out there in the big leagues. They wind up trading away Trevor Bauer, but I would actually argue that's not one of the biggest losses in the world because... When you're getting back Yasiel Puig and Femio Reyes for a lineup that have been struggling, it's really huge. And we've seen guys like Zach Plesak, who's going to be pitching on Monday against the Boston Red Sox, going to be able to give this team some innings. I love the way that Shane Bieber has come on. Some of those fly balls they gives up, well, they're going to leave you holding your breath, but he's been giving tremendous length as well. If there is one team that I think can actually contend out there in the American League, I do think it's the Cleveland Indians just because we've seen them do it quite a few times in past years. And I do think that the trade of Trevor Bauer actually helped this team out because now you've got a lineup that can rake. I know that Famio Reyes doesn't necessarily have the best batting average in the world, and Yasiel Puig isn't what he was a couple years ago, but they certainly are a big addition to this lineup. 
Cleveland is that team that I would put in a similar category, albeit a little bit more talented from an offensive standpoint, just like we did with Washington. I think the Nationals are the team that's kind of slowly flying under the radar. If they can find some consistency, that's one of those teams that that you don't want to face in the postseason. Well, Cleveland, I put in the same realm. I love what Minnesota brings to the table offensively. They've gotten really good years out of Kyle Gibson. You know, uh, Jose Barrios is very good, although he got torched by Atlanta in his last start. They're just a team that they're going to fall flat. You know, it's just they're, they're really good. They're having a great regular season. But I just, for some reason, when I watch the Twins and recently now against Cleveland, they struggle. I can't put my full faith behind them. The Indians seem like one of those teams that's just slowly getting better. And when you look at the names in the lineup, this is another team that doesn't strike out a lot, that gives you very tough at-bats. Francisco Lindor missed a lot of time, most of the first half, in fact. But since getting him back, they have slowly developed more consistency. Carlos Santana continues to give you pop. Question with Cleveland, and I agree, you lose a Trevor Bauer, you add Yasiel Puig, and then you get kind of Bauer's attitude. When he heaved the ball into center field, I think that was it for Francona. But you did lose plenty of talent there, too. They got to get Corey Kluber back. He pitched 41 pitches in a rehab start. He said he felt good. He's your ace. He's somebody that can go the distance. And that was a guy, too, that has worn down because he's pitched so much over the last five years. He's worn down a little bit in the postseason. The one time, too, he was flat pitching hurt. So you get Corey Kluber back, and he doesn't have the same wear and tear that he normally has. I mean, you can go into a series with one of the best pitchers in the league, plus an offense that can back you up. That bullpen at times has been inconsistent as well. But, Greg, I wouldn't be shocked at all if Cleveland surpassed Minnesota in the AL Central when it's all said and done. I would not be surprised either. And Anthony, who are a couple players that you think could make a big impact on a playoff hunt? Right now, I'm looking at Mike Fires of the Oakland A's. Ever since the beginning of the month of May, he has not given up more than three earned runs in a start. This guy has been absolutely dynamic. I mentioned the guys with the Indians, Zach Plesak, Shane Bieber. I think that they could be difference makers. And we're talking about all the acquisitions that the Houston Astros have made, that great lineup. Jordan Alvarez. A guy that is really flying under the radar, hitting nearly 350, a home run every 11 or 12 at-bats. He's been insane. For a couple guys that you look at, that could be a little bit of a difference maker. You know, the guy that you just mentioned with Alvarez, I mean, he has been so fun to watch. And of course, a team that's already got Carlos Correa and Jose Altuve and George Springer and Alex Bregman. Yeah, of course, they had a a kid in Alvarez uh, who has just been sensational. I tend to look at the teams that made moves at the deadline and kind of look at what, what guys could help them. So, for example, we have already seen... Nicholas Castellanos for the Cubs make a huge impact. Had two home runs the other night in Cincinnati, and he has just been a great addition to that Cubs lineup that, again, was already stacked. It's been kind of interesting to see that the moves are paying off for some teams. We'll see what happens with Marcus Stroman and the Mets. The Mets have been red hot. Perhaps, you know, he's somebody that could get a couple of really good starts and lead the Mets into a surprise wild card berth. So those are the guys I'm kind of keeping an eye on. Now, when you get past the postseason, you always get kind of like your your Cody Rosses, your David Eckstein's, guys that seemingly come out of nowhere to contribute. The names that you threw out there are certainly intriguing as well. But I think when we go back to the trade deadline, we're going to really key in on the teams that made moves and didn't make moves. Wouldn't be surprised if the Cardinals fall short. Wouldn't be surprised if even the Yankees, for as good of a season they've had, and they've overcome a lot of injuries, if they don't fall short in an ALDS or ALCS because 
they didn't get the pitching. So I kind of go back to the trade deadline and look at some of the moves that have been made and really kind of hone in on that as we get closer. Anthony, I'm right there with so many of those guys. And I would like to close it up with this. Let the good people know where they can get a little bit more of your work since you do a tremendous job as not just a co-host on 101 ESPN, but you're also their lead betting columnist. It's very rare that you find guys out there that are living in the Midwest that are in gambling on a day-by-day basis, and you're doing a terrific job of it, obviously. Gambling is going to be coming to one of your nearby states in Iowa, and I know that it's coming in Chicago as well, so you're doing a great job being a trailblazer out there, and let the good people just know how they can get a little bit more of your work in general. Yeah, Greg, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for the kind work. I'm really looking forward to the point when Missouri decides to go ahead and, whether it's in casinos or sportsbooks in casinos or some standalone stuff, that'd be fun. But yeah, with Chicago and Illinois, I think really Southern Illinois is going to start implementing a lot of these sports books as well. It's kind of a fun time to be a columnist that does some some betting stuff. So you can find my work at 101ESPN.com. I do a lot of baseball picks. I would like to do one per day, but the timing and things like that doesn't always allow for that. But uh, I, I try to be consistent there. And then during the football season, I do NFL picks for four for four.com. That's the number four, F O R, number four.com, four for four.com. Proud that I, I hit over 60% with NFL last year with my picks for four for four.com. So I'm looking forward to another big football season. If I had 60% on my NFL picks, I'd be very proud of that too. That is very <laughs> impressive. So, but big thanks, Anthony Stelter, for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And Coming up next, it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game at today's Las Vegas betting board. And we do so in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's Gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. And a big thanks to my guy out there in St. Louis, Anthony Stelter. Does a great job hosting for 101 ESPN The Turn and does a great job writing up betting information for them as we're back here in the Zinni Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Now it is that time of the podcast in which I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board. And we do so on a little something I like to call... Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes that are made to these plays are going to be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNRSquarity1. With some of these plays, they're all locked in, good to go, bet on everything like that. With some of these plays, we're in Wayne C mode, waiting on lineup changes. In the case of the Orioles Yankees game, we have no idea who the heck is pitching. For either team in like any of these games, so that is going to be making things turkey jerky, but I'm going to be taking you through it all, like, you know, what's all locked in and what's pending as we go along, and all the numbers I do lock in that are not locked in at the time of this podcast going to be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNRSquarty1. As per usual, we go on rotation order according to that of the Vegas books, and that starts with 951-952. The Cincinnati Reds are throw to face off against the Washington Nationals. Eric Fetty Wap goes for the Washington Nationals. 
Angels, Anthony Scalfani for the Cincinnati Reds. 10.5 is the total on this one with the under anywhere between minus 115, minus 120, overs anywhere between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Reds, you're going to be getting a little bit less juice than if you were to look at to the other side as Reds. Anywhere between plus 104 and minus 104. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay with the Nationals, that's anywhere between minus 106 and minus 114. And this is a spot where I'm going to be taking a look at the Washington Nationals. I do like their lineup a little bit more, though I will say for the Cincinnati Reds, we have noticed that their young outfielders have been doing a very good job. Josh Van Meter's been hitting above a 270 ever since he got the call up to the big leagues. And then you've got Artias Aquino, hopefully I'm saying that correctly, hitting above a 450. He had that three home run game against the Chicago Cubs over the weekend. And you've got a couple other guys that are really coming along with their batting average as well. You've got Nick Senzel hitting at 275. Eugenio Suarez, Joey Votto, and Jesse Winker are all in between a 256 and a 266. Jose Peraza has sent his average right around a 245. Phil Bourbon is hitting at 350. And then you've still got Jose Iglesias who's hitting a 275, and in the case of Mr. Suarez, he's got 33 home runs, so he's been able to supply the boom. Though I will say this with the Cincinnati Reds, and this popped up once again over the weekend. One of the bottom five bullpens out there in the big leagues with regards to ERA over the last 30 days, and with D. Scalfani, this is a man that's given up right in between 1.8 and 1.9 home runs per nine innings. 7-6 record, 420 ERA, so I guess he's high to giving up runs. And you take a look at his last two starts, not necessarily great. He was one to combine 10 and a third innings, giving up a combined seven runs, so leaves a little bit of something to be desired there. And Eric Fetty leaves a little bit of something to be desired with regards to his length. As that one past the sixth inning, this for a bullpen that is one of the worst out there in the big leagues as well. And with Eric Fetty, he's just been incredibly inconsistent ever since coming off the injured list. He has made a total of four starts. In three of those starts, he's given up one or zero runs. In the other one against the Atlanta Braves, he got just completely shellacked for nine runs. He's given up eight home runs in 60 innings and has had a problem with walks, giving up just under four of them per nine innings. But you do have Juan Soto and Anthony Rendon in the middle of the lineup. Both these guys have an on-base percentage that is approaching 400. In the case of Rendon, he's got 24 home runs. Yeah, I like the fact that Juan Soto has really been coming along for the ride as well. His home run count currently at 24 as well. And then you've got Adam Eaton and Trey Turner at the top lineup. Both in between a 282 and a 290. Got a variety of guys that are in between a 237 and a 247. Victor Robles, Matt Adams, Azuba Cabrera, Gerardo Parra are all in that neighborhood. And then you do have Jan Gomes who's hitting below a 230, but Kurt Suzuki, whenever he's out there, hitting a 265. This is a team that's currently without Howie Kendrick, but at the same time, they have been doing a solid job with their bats. But I do think Eric Fetty is going to do a better job of keeping the ball in the yard than Anthony D. Scalfani. I do think that both these teams are not going to be generating a whole bunch of runs. I think that there's going to be a little bit of scoring, but at the same time, I do think that both these guys keep this game out in front of them. And I'm seeing a lot of money coming in on the over, which means I'm going to be Wayne Seymour on this because I'm going to be taking this total under. And I'm going to be looking at the Washington Nationals, noticing a little bit of money coming in on the Washington Nationals. So if I see that continuing, certainly going to be locking in this play while I still can. But Nationals and the under are going to be the play here. 953-954 on the bank rotation. The Arizona Diamondbacks set the road to face off against the Colorado Rockies. Peter Lambert goes for the Rockies. Merrill Kelly for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Your total on this game is 13 and a half. Overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The unders anywhere between even and minus 110. If you're looking at the Rockies, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 110 and minus 116. Meanwhile, with the Diamondbacks, getting anywhere between even and plus 106. This is a pair of pitchers that you don't necessarily want to back. Merrill Kelly has had his rough stints recently, and we saw Peter Lambert last get shelled against the 
Houston Astros, so needless to say, those guys leave a little bit of something to be desired, but it looks like the Coors Field Unders might be making a little bit of a comeback. Seems like the prices have finally gotten a little bit too badly inflated as each of the last six games at Coors Field went under. And with Merrill Kelly, he didn't necessarily have a bad start. His last time out, giving up three runs in six innings to the Philadelphia Phillies. His two starts before them were awful, giving up seven runs to both the Miami Marlins and the Baltimore Orioles, but... From the beginning of June until that those two starts in which he gave up seven plus runs, he essentially won nine starts, giving up more than three earned runs in just one of them. Meanwhile, Peter Lambert giving up two home runs per nine innings, 687 is his ERA, and this is a guy that has given up three earned runs or more in four out of his last six starts. And for the Colorado Rockies, this is a team that in general does hit much better at home than they do on the road. But also keep this in mind. On the road, they've got a top 10 ERA in the big leagues, although the bullpen ERA has been the worst in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break. But they also have the worst ERA out there in the big leagues at home as well. But you do have some guys that are doing a good job of being able to rake, even though a couple guys did wind up getting the day off yesterday. You saw Nolan Arenado getting a breather. You also have seen David Dahl in and out of the lineup, but Charlie Blackman has been doing a very solid job for this team. He's hitting above 320. He, Arenado, and Trevor Story all have between 24 and 26 home runs. And for Trevor Story, he's hitting at 282. Remy Altapia is hitting in that neighborhood as well. You've got Ryan McMahon, Ian Desmond, and Tony Walters. All guys are in between a 263 and a 283. Garrett Amson is leaving a little bit of something to be desired, but Daniel Murphy certainly is not sitting above a 285. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Arizona Diamondbacks. This is a team that has actually been doing a very good job on the road with regards to hitting as opposed to at home. At home, they're getting less than a home run per game on the road. They're in the top eight in the big leagues with regards to home runs per game. And Eduardo Escobar and Cattell Marte are leading the charge. Both these men have 26 home runs. In the case of Cattell Marte, he's got his batting average north of a 310. Meanwhile, Escobar hitting more around a 275. You got Tim LeCastro, Gerard Dyson. Two guys are in between a 250 and a 260. And then Christian Walker done a nice job with his betting average nearing 263, along with Nick Ahmad and Carson Kelly. For Christian Walker, he's got 20 home runs so far this year. Adam Jones has been hitting right around a 260 as well. Wormer Flores is back in the fold. He and David Peralta both hitting between a 277 and a 287. Alex Avila and Jake Lamb are both even something to be desired with their batting averages, both below a 235. But in the case of Jake Lamb, 360 on base percentage. Alex Avila, his on base percentage approaching a 400. So yeah, they've done a nice job of getting on base and with both these teams bullpen not necessarily great but 13 and a half just is a little bit too high here Merrill Kelly for a month and a half from June until mid-July looked very good meanwhile Peter Lambert he didn't have good numbers at AAA either and I don't feel like he's being supported very well at all either so for that reason I'm going to be looking at the Arizona Diamondbacks in this spot and I'm going to be looking at the total under already locked in under 13 and a half runs at even money Meanwhile, I'm in wait and see mode on the Arizona Diamondbacks, trying to see if I'm able to get a nice little bit of a juicy plus price because I'm noticing a little bit of money here coming in on the Colorado Rockies. Next up, we've got our doubleheader for the day as it's going to be the Baltimore Orioles hitting the road against the New York Yankees for both these games. 9.55, 9.56 is going to be game one. That is set for 10.05 a.m. Pacific first pitch, 1.05 p.m. Eastern, and then 9.57, 9.58 is game two. That is 4.05 p.m. Pacific, 7.05 p.m. Eastern. And fortunately, you don't have to really worry about juggling too much because both these games are in order and with the first game 955-956 it will be Gabrielle and Noah going for the Baltimore Orioles meanwhile James Paxton it's a bump for the New York Yankees currently this game is off the board and for 957-958 on the Vegas betting board it is currently showing no pitchers for either team so 
The one with, with pitchers is game one, both in regards to time and the Vegas rotation order, and the one with not is game two. So that makes things very helpful. So let's go with game one first. You know as a guy that, you know what? He has not been very good as a starter. He's got a 1-6 record, 5-5-70 RA. He wound up making his start for the team against the Yankees about a week ago. Wound up going four and two-thirds innings and giving up three runs. We know that the Baltimore Orioles bullpen is not very good, but for James Paxson, he actually has been doing a little bit of a better job of keeping games out in front of him. 7-6 and six with a 4-40 ERA. He's not necessarily been great in that regard, but he's still getting strikeouts. And I will say, over his last two starts, he's actually been showing me a little bit of something as he's won a combined 12 and two-thirds innings, giving up three earned runs. In his last start against the Orioles, he looked absolutely sensational. But we do know this. With the Baltimore Orioles, even though this is a team that's had their struggles all year long, they are able to hit for stretches, and they've got some guys in the lineup that do have some pop. We saw Rio Ruiz hit that big home run and be the savior for my bankroll yesterday. Trey Boomer Mancini's hitting a 280. He has won deep 27 times so far this year. You got Jonathan VR and Pedro Severino, both in between a 265 and a 271. Got a couple guys that do need to pick it up with the bat. CV Wilkerson, Chance Sisko, Chris Davis, Richie Martin, all guys hitting a 227 or worse. But then you do have Rio Ruiz, who's now hitting a 245. Answer Alberto and Anthony Santander are two guys that are hitting a 300 or better. And then you do take a look at what you're getting out of Renato Nunes. He wound up getting the day off yesterday, but he's got over 25 home runs. His batting average hovering right around a 240. But for the New York Yankees, Gary Sanchez is now healthy for the team, though. Really didn't matter yesterday as they wound up playing a game of least or 1-0 to there. You've got Gleyber Torres now in the back of the fold. He's been hitting above a 290. he has got 20-plus home runs. DJ LeMayo, Gio Urshela, Mike Talkman, and Cameron Maben are all guys hitting a 300 or better. And in the case of DJ LeMayo, this is a guy that's doing a little bit of everything. 334 batting average, 18 home runs, 80 RBI. You still have out there Aaron Judge and D.D. Gregorius as well. Both these guys hitting right around a 270. We noticed that Gregorius got the day off yesterday, but Brett Gardner back in the fold. He's hitting nearly 260. Austin Romine is hitting a 270 as well. So this is a very lethal lineup. You also could see a little bit of a letdown spot after the Baltimore Orioles had all that jubilation winning that game in walk-off fashion against a superior opponent. This could be an area where they just get completely crushed. So I'll certainly be looking at the Yankees on the run line in game one. That is unless of the Baltimore Orioles are getting $4 again. This is why I always say that you always want to check back in the morning on your Twitter feed at GNR and Squirty1 because if you're seeing another price like we saw on Sunday, I'll probably be taking a look at the Baltimore Orioles. And then when it comes to game two, right now we're not showing any pictures on ESPN. It's probably going to be like a wholesale approach with the New York Yankees. They did this a couple days ago. They're 10-1 whenever an opener goes. For the Baltimore Orioles, you can't think that they're going to be trotting out there anyone good. So probably going to be once again looking at the Yankees on the run line. And in game one, if you're seeing this Paxson versus Yanoa game hovering right around a 10 or more with regards to the total, might look at an under if it's below 11.5, but in that juicy range between a 10 and an 11.5, going to look at it over because the Yankees have played over 70% of their road games to the over and the same will probably go for game two but as always we can't really give you a whole lot of plays when there's no line and there's no announced pitchers on 957, 958 but for 955, 956 
you know a versus facts and you sort of know where I'm going there. So hopefully that helped you guys out and hopefully I was able to keep that clean and concise. We move on to 959-960 on the banging rotation. This is another game that's off the board as it is the Texas Rangers and they are on the road facing off against the Toronto Blue Jays. Going for the Texas Rangers is going to be one Ariel Girardo. Meanwhile, for the Toronto Blue Jays, it is going to be Neil Ramirez who is going to be the opener. And you've got one of two options for the bulk guy, it sounds like at this point. Brock Stewart or Zach Ungodly Bad. Which means that you've got either a option you really don't want to get behind with the Toronto Blue Jays or an option you really, really don't want to get behind with the Toronto Blue Jays. Then again, does anyone really want to bet on Ariel Gerardo on the road either? This is a man with a 474 ERA. In his last start against the Cleveland Indians on the road, though, I will say he was a little bit better. He wound up giving up just two earned runs. And heck, even against the Oakland A's, he wound up going seven innings, three earned runs in that road start getting a win on July 25th. So he's at least looked a little bit better recently. But there was a stint out there in the middle of July in which he had given up in all but one start in which he went at least three innings. He had given up at least five runs in five out of his last six starts. So this is a man that certainly has had a hilly ride. Meanwhile, with the Toronto Blue Jays, they've really been doing a good job of being able to hold opponents at bay with the opener. We saw Jake Waga's pack have a very nice bulk appearance against the Toronto Blue Jays a couple days ago when Wilmer Font opened for him. Trent Thornton was really able to keep the game out in front of him yesterday, but I don't think that's going to be the case with Zach Ungodly Bad and Brock Stewart, both having sky-high ERAs and just neither one being a sexy option, let's be honest here. But with the Toronto Blue Jays, even though they've got one of the worst home batting averages out there in the big leagues, they do have a lot of power on this team. You've got Freddie Galvis and Lords Goriel, and I know that Lords Goriel is dealing with a little bit of injury, but you've got both these guys hitting for 18 home runs. In the case of Galvis, he's hitting a 270. Goriel above a 280. Boba Shed ever since getting get called up to the big leagues, hitting nearly a 370. So that has been good. But then you've got Justin Smoke, Teoscar Hernandez, Derek Fisher, Brandon Jury. The entire catcher spot in general, aside from McGuire and Randall Gritchick, all hitting a 235 or lower along with Kevon Biggio. But you do have a lot of pop as well. Teoscar Hernandez, Justin Smoke, Randall Gritchick, all these guys have 17-plus home runs. So they've been doing a good job of being able to shell out some power there. And Vlad Guerrero Jr. now has his batting average at a 275. Meanwhile, you take a look at the flip side for the Texas Rangers. This is a team that's actually been playing a lot of unders recently in their series against the Milwaukee Brewers. Two out of their three games wound up going under. They played all three of their games against the Cleveland Indians, the under as well. And in their previous series against the Detroit Tigers, two of those three games also went under. So they've been doing a very good job in that regard. And Danny Santana has actually been very good for this team. He and Sin Chu Chu. Both have a combined 35 home runs. In the case of Chu, 275 batting average. Danny Santana is hitting a 308. Elvis Andrews and Willie Calhoun both hitting between a 275 and a 285. Noah Mazzara, along with Delano D. Shields Jr., are a pair of guys hitting between a 255 and a 265. But then you've got the famine bats for the team. Runet, Odor, Isaiah Kinnear Falfa, Jeff Mathis, Ronald Guzman, and Tim Fedorowicz are all guys hitting a 230 or lower. But I will say this for Runet Odor. He certainly has been getting his power going, and they've needed it because they're without Joey Gallo still on the injured list. 20 home runs, 64 RBI. But this is going to be a spot where I think it's going to be interesting because neither of these teams are hitting for a lot of average. But neither of these teams really look like they're going to have great pitchers going out there. I would have to argue that with Ariel Gerardo going for the Texas Rangers, it's better than either 
Godley or Stewart. So lean here is going to be to the Texas Rangers, especially if you're getting a plus price. This is despite the fact that the Texas Rangers on the road this year are 24 and 36. But I will say the Texas Rangers as an underdog, 50 and 30 with regards to their run line performance as well. So I do have a lean here to the Texas Rangers with this total. If it's in the double digits, probably going to be taking it under. If you're seeing something in the to- in the realm of a nine, probably going to look to the over. But since we don't have a line on this game and we don't know what the bulk guy is going to be for the Blue Jays, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Junior and Squirty One for set plays there. 961, 962 on the bank rotation. Zach Plesak goes for the home Cleveland Indians as they face off against the Boston Red Sox. And going for the Boston Red Sox, Eduardo Rodriguez. Your total on this game is going to be 10. This has ticked up from the opener of 9.5. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and even. I'm seeing a minus 115 on the under now as well, which means that you can also get the over at minus 105. That just ticked. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Cleveland Indians, you're going to be getting a plus price here. That is anywhere between plus 105 and plus 109. Meanwhile, if you'd like to lay it with the Boston Red Sox, anywhere between minus 115 and minus 119. Before his last two starts, Eduardo Rodriguez had had the over cash in 17 out of his first 23 starts of the year, but his last two have went under, and the Boston Red Sox have not been performing well in them, and the Boston Red Sox in general have been playing a lot of overs so far this year just because they aren't getting a lot out of the bullpen, and Eduardo Rodriguez has been giving it up a little bit more recently as well. This is a man that in two out of his last three starts has given up three-plus earned runs after he really started out July stellar, and then in the month of June, he wound up having three out of his last five starts be clunkers in which he gave up four-plus earned runs himself. So this is a man that is lending himself to a little bit too much contact, and he is a guy that gives out over three-and-a-half walks per nine innings. Meanwhile, Zach Fleasack, 6-3 record, 3-1-3 ERA. He has been pitching pretty tremendously recently. In his last six starts, he's given up more than two earned runs in just one of them. Now, some of those starts, he didn't give a lot of great length out there in the month of July, but he is now backed up by a lineup that is all the more lethal for the Cleveland Indians as you know, have Yasiel Puig and Femio Reyes in the fold. For Femio Reyes, he's only hanging between a 240 and a 245, but he's got 27 home runs on the year. Carlos Santana, though, 282 batting average, 25 home runs for him. Yasiel Puig has 23 home runs combined between his time with the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. He's hitting right around a 265. Francisco Lindor at the top of the lineup has been doing a great job. 300 batting average for him. 20 home runs. And then you've got guys like Jason Kipnis and Jose Ramirez picking it up. Both these guys are in between a 248 and a 258. Taylor Naquin is hitting nearly a 280. You've even seen Oscar Mercado contribute a 275 batting average. So things are going well in that regard. Meanwhile, the Boston Red Sox, you certainly do have a fearsome lineup. J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, and Rafael Devers. And I know that Rafael Devers wound up getting a couple days off in that series against the LA Angels, but should probably be ready to rock in this series. Are all doing a very good job for this team. They are all in between a 303 and a 317, and they have between 23 and 26 home runs. You notice that Chris Owings is now in the fold for this team from the Kansas City Rails. Only getting a buck 29 for the team, so we're in waiting to see about there if they're going to be able to deliver anything, but we know that Andrew Benatendi, Mookie Betts, and Christian Vasquez are delivering. All these guys in between a 281 and a 285. Jackie Bradley Jr. has been a little bit of a letdown along with Sandy Leon and Mitch Moreland. These guys are hitting a 230 or lower, but Michael Chavis sitting right around a 255. He's got some pop even though he strikes out a lot. And Brock Holt hitting above a 315 as well. Now the Cleveland Indians have the second best under rate for teams at home this year. The Indians have played about 59% of their home games to the under, but I do think that this is a total that is going to go over. I think that Plesak is going to give up a couple runs because this is a man that has lent himself to a little bit of hard contact. I went through 
Rodriguez and his struggles. He's been giving up right around 1.4 home runs per nine innings. Zach Plesak more in the realm of 1.35-ish. With the Cleveland Indians, you do have the best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues, but I do think that the Indians, with their revamped lineup, going to be able to get some offense here. I think the Red Sox are going to score theirs, but I think that the Indians win a little bit of a shootout. So for that reason, going to be on the Indians with a plus price and this total over. Have already locked in this total over. Meanwhile, I'm noticing a little bit of money trickling in on the Boston Red Sox as the Red Sox have actually been surprisingly better on the road than they have been at home. The road record of the Boston Red Sox, 32-26. and 26. Meanwhile, at home, the performance has not necessarily been there as they are 30-32, and 32. but with the Cleveland Indians, they've also done a good job at home with a 38 and 24 record and on the run line 15 and 7 are the Indians in regards to being an underdog so for that reason looking at the Indians and the over and over I locked in the over and Wayne C mode on the Indians plus price 963 964 on the bank rotation the Chicago White Sox are at home facing off against the Houston Astros Zach Greinke goes for the Strohs meanwhile Dylan Cease will hope to not cease to exist against the Houston Astros as he goes for the White Sox. Your total on this game is 9.5. The over is anywhere between even and minus 105. Meanwhile, the under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. If you're looking at the Astros, you're going to be laying a whole lot of juice here once again. That's anywhere between minus 260 and minus $3. Meanwhile, your plus price on the White Sox, anywhere between plus 220 and plus 245. As we saw, the Houston Astros can lose as a very, very hefty favorite, but I do think that Zach Greinke is going to be able to turn a good start in this one. We did see him in his last start, which was his debut for the Houston Astros, give up five runs to the Rockies. That was not necessarily the best of starts, but with that said, this is a man that ever since his first start of the year has been giving up right around .7 home runs per nine innings. ERA south of three in that time as well. And Dylan Cease, he did give a good performance against the Detroit Tigers, going five innings, giving up two runs in his last start. But this is a man that each of his last five starts previous had given up at least three earned runs, going more than five innings in just one of them. And he had given up four-plus runs in four out of those five. He's a good up-and-coming prospect, but he does give up a little bit too much hard contact. This is a man that for the year is giving up nearly three home runs per nine innings. So that doesn't lend itself well to a Houston Astros lineup that top to bottom is just completely loaded. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You've got Michael Brantley, who's hitting above a 320 for this bunch. George Pringer and Jose Altuve are in between a 296 and a 304. Jose Altuve's got 20 home runs. George Springer has went deep 25 times. You've got Carlos Correa back in the fold. He has his batting average approaching a 300. Jordan Alvarez was able to hit three home runs in a game against the Baltimore Orioles a couple days ago. 355 is his batting average. He's getting a home run every 10 to 11 at bats. Josh Reddick is hitting a 270. And then you've got even guys like Aledmiz Diaz who are able to contribute. Then you take a look at the flip side for the Chicago White Sox. This is a team that in 22 out of their last 30 games have scored four runs or fewer in 22 of them. Meanwhile, in 21 out of those last 30 games, they have scored three runs or fewer. Now, Jose Abreu is doing his job. 272 average, 24 home runs, 83 RBI, but not having Yohan Moncada, man that's averaging over 300 and has 20 home runs has really hurt the team. I will say that Tim Anderson doing a very good job with his batting average. That's at a 325. John Jay, James McCann, and Ryan Goins are all hitting between a 283 and a 287 as well. But then you've got Eloy Jimenez only hitting 237. He's got some power in the bat, but 
It's just not enough at this point as his on-base percentage is south of 300. Adam Angles hitting at 225. Yomer Sanchez hitting at 245. So you're not getting a whole lot of production out of the White Sox, especially with regards to the power. This despite the fact that they play at a little bit of a hitter-friendly ballpark. So I do think that the Astros are going to be able to get back on track. I think that they're going to put up a big number. And I do think that Granke might be a little bit more of an over-pitcher. He didn't necessarily look the most comfortable on the mound for the Houston Astros. And I do think he'll give up a couple here. But I think the Astros are really going to take it to Dylan Cease. And I do think that the White Sox, even though they do have one of the best bullpen ERAs out there in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break, going to give up a couple runs there because they're going to have to get into their really wrong, their really long reliever. So for that reason, going to be taking this total over and going to be taking the run line of the Astros. With the Astros run line, currently seeing that at minus 160, certainly would like to lay less, but if that's the best price I can get, that's the best price I can get. And this total has been ticking down ever since it opened up. So I'm just trying to see how low it will go. Game 965-966 on the bang rotation. You've got the LA Angels, and they play host the Pittsburgh Pirates. Mitch Keller goes for the Buccos. Jose Suarez for the LA Angels. Your total on this game is anywhere between 9.5 and, and 10. On the 10s, your under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and plus 105. On the 9.5, the over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and plus 105. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Angels, you are going to be laying anywhere between minus 142 and minus 150. The plus price on the Buccos, anywhere between plus 130 and plus 140. And I just can't back the Pittsburgh Pirates right now. 4-24 and 24 in their last 28 games after blowing a four-run lead yesterday. Now, neither of these starters have been very good at all, and that is putting it politely. You take a look at Mitch Keller. He has gotten two starts for the team so far this year, and, well, they have not gone as planned. He's a highly touted prospect, but he's got a 10.50 ERA. He's wound up going a combined 12 innings at the big league level. He has a whip of a 2.25. I always say that if your whip would be an impressive bench press for a set of 10, things are not going well. If you're doing 2.25 for a set of 10, you're doing pretty darn good. And the last time he got his call up to the big leagues was in the middle of June, June 18th against the Detroit Tigers. Only gave up two runs in that game, but with that said, Still not necessarily a guy that you want to be sticking your chips in the middle with. Meanwhile, Mr. Jose Suarez. This is a guy that's giving up just under three home runs per nine innings. Two and three record. 622 ERA. You take a look at his most recent four starts. He has given up three earned runs or more in all but one of them. And this is a guy that last made it out of the fifth inning on June 20th. So he's providing no length whatsoever. The LA Angels have a bullpen that's been pretty putrid. The Pittsburgh Pirates, as we saw yesterday, with Kyle Crick throwing plus money tickets into the Crick, has not been very good either. And with both these teams, you do have some pretty good hitters, and the best one by far in this one is Mike Trout. He's hitting a 297, 92 RBI, 39 home runs, Got a couple other guys that are doing a decent job with their batting average. Shoy Otani, Brian Goodwin, and Daniel Fletcher are all guys that are in between a 290 and a 280. Meanwhile, you take a look at Albert Pujols and Cole Calhoun. Both these guys are in between a 233 and a 241, but in the case of Albert Pujols, he's got 28 home runs. Cole Calhoun has done a nice job of going deep. 26 for him. You do have a couple guys that they really do need to pick it up with their batting average. Wilfredo Tovar, Justin Upton, Max Stassi, Matt Theus, all guys that are in between a 212 and a 144. Meanwhile, Luis Rangifo has seen his batting average 
go down to a 240 as well. That has not necessarily been a redeeming quality. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Pittsburgh Pirates. You still do have quite a few guys hitting a 300 or better, but Josh Bell has really been in a funk with regards to his power. He did get a home run yesterday, but he's got two home runs since the All-Star break. 29 on the year. His batting average hovering at a 285. He's also got 94 RBI, so that's obviously been nice, but he certainly has he certainly has had his slowdown. You've got Melky Cabrera now batting a 288. Kevin Newman is still hitting above a 300, along with Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds hitting a 335. So that's been a nice sign. Jose Azuna has been in and out of the lineup, but he's been providing a little bit of something. But then you've got a couple guys that they do need to pick it up with regards to their batting average. Jung Okung has been in and out of the lineup all year long. He's hitting below 200, along with Pablo Reyes. Eric Gonzalez is only getting a 217 himself. He wound up getting a start at shortstop yesterday. Colin Moran has been doing solid. 280 batting average, and Adam Frazier is hitting a 265. But you're seeing two teams that have really hit the skids recently, but the LA Angels were able to get two wins against the Boston Red Sox. They're in better form. And I just have no faith whatsoever that Mitch Keller is going to be able to deliver a good start in this spot. And I do think that both these teams are going to be scoring a whole lot of runs, even though the ballpark in Los Angeles plays a little bit differently at a nighttime. It's a little bit more pitcher friendly, but I don't think that's going to be enough to be able to help these guys out. So for that reason, looking at the total over and the run line of the LA Angels, as the LA Angels have won over 83% of their games by two plus runs so far this year. That's been a very hot trend. So for that reason, went with the LA Angels run line at the time that I got it. It was plus 140, locked it in. Now we're seeing it more around a plus 120, plus 125, so advised to play there. And with regards to this over, right now I'm noticing that for some reason, a lot of money's coming in on the under. So right now the decision is, do I lock in a 10 at plus money or do I wind up waiting for the nine and a half to try to get a little bit less juicy so I'm right now in Wayne see mode there but I'm going to be locking in one of those as we wrap things up with 967 968 on the bank rotation the San Diego Padres play also the Tampa Bay Rays in the lone interleague game it's going to be Diego Castillo opening for the Tampa Bay Rays as a bulk guy is going to be Austin Pruitt meanwhile for the San Diego Padres, it is going to be Joey Lucchese. And for Pruitt, it's been a little bit of an up-and-down year for him. He's been going on average about three innings in his appearances, eight total, 5.16 ERA. He's done a pretty solid job of keeping the ball in the yard, 1.2 home runs per nine innings, but he's also issuing 3.2 walks. Doesn't necessarily have great signal miss stuff. 6.8 strikeouts per nine innings. Then you take a look at Joey Lucchese. Things have been a little bit up and down. He's certainly been letting himself to a little bit less hard contact than last year. 5-4-1-9 ERA. He has been giving up right around 1.2 home runs per nine innings. That's down from the 1.6 that he gave up last year, but he's just had a little bit of a roller coaster ride himself. This is a guy that does a little bit better at home than he does on the road. You take a look at the home numbers for Joey Lucchese. He's got an ERA that is 2.71 with a 6-2 record. Meanwhile, in his 10 road starts, 6-1-5 ERA and a 1-4 record there. So obviously, you do have some dramatic splits. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, you don't necessarily have one big masher for this team that's going to light the world on fire. So I will say that you do have to like what you're seeing right now out of Austin Meadows. 285 batting average, 18 home runs, 56 RBI. Then you got Tommy Pham and Avi Sale Garcia doing a great job of being able to chip in some work themselves. Both these guys have right around 15 to 16 home runs. In the case of Tommy Pham, he's hitting a 266. Avi Sale Garcia, a 277. Eric Sogard is hitting above a 300 with Mark Rousseau. You got a couple guys that you need to pick it up. Willie Adamas and Guillermo Aredia hitting between a 230 and a 240. Mike Zanino hitting below the Mendoza line. And Travis Arnau seeing a little bit of a dip in his average of a 250. But Jesus Aguiar, ever since coming over from the Milwaukee Brewers, has been pretty solid. And then for the San Diego Pirates, 
Padres. You do have some nice matchers for this team, and the guy that drives them in is Eric Hosmer. 279 batting average, 17 home runs, 78 RBI. Hunter Renfro, not necessarily doing a great job with the guards, so he's batting averaging just a shade above a 230, but he's got 31 home runs. Manny Machado has been in a little bit of a funk now, inning 265, but his home run count is at a 26. He's got a couple guys in Manuel Margot and Josh Naylor that are in between a 244 and a 251. You do have a couple guys that do need to pick it up a little bit, though. Will Myers has been actually 232 is his batting average, but then you got Ian Kinsler. Austin Hedges and Luis Arias all hitting a 215 or lower, but Fernando Tatis Jr. at the top of this lineup has been absolutely amazing. His batting average is a 320, 22 home runs for him. He's got a double-digit amount of stolen bases. And then you do have to like that Francisco Mejia sent his batting average all the way up to a 280. Greg Garcia is hitting a 272, so things seem to be going in the right direction for the San Diego Padres. And if this is a spot where the Padres are essentially like a pick'em, probably going to be looking at them in this spot. I know that they haven't necessarily been great, but this is a squad that I do think is going to be able to get a good start from Joey Lucchese as he's been a vastly different pitcher home to road. And with the Tampa Bay Rays, they have been locking down recently, but we've noticed that they've been a very streaky team, and I do think that this West Coast road trip might be taking a little bit out of them. So, as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRScore1 for set plays there when a line is announced. And that's also where you can ask a question if you have it for this fine podcast. As always, please tweet it into the timeline and do not DM them. And if you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. A big thanks to our guest, Anthony Stelzer of E. ESPN 101 out there in St. Louis for joining me in the second segment. And let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.